Um, we'll never be able to fulfill our mission if we don't use tech. We'll never be able to fulfill our mission if we're just kind of, you know, like the soul cycle model of running very uh, high ticket priced, high experience boutique studios. Um, yeah, it is about democratizing that. The privilege I have of being a professional dancer and those uh, people being my colleagues and my friends um, and making that experience relevant to everyone. On today's show, our guest is Bonnie Lister-Parsons, the CEO of School of SOS. And we're talking all about how we made sure that her business was ready for an online virtual world. My name's David Savage, and joining me today, we have a quiche for Tech Talks, your twice-weekly technology podcast where we speak to tech leaders and bring you a bit of industry news. We had Super Saturday, as it was coined at the weekend. Super Saturday. What a day it was, eh? What Did you go day. to the pub? I, I didn't, just to I say. didn't go to the pub, but as you know, I'm an avid cricketer and Bojo also made the announcement that cricket is allowed to commence on the 11th. So I was at the cricket club all day Saturday with all the members, socially distanced, um, making sure everything was all set up, having a little net training session. Um, yep. And then to celebrate, we opened the bar for the first time in 2020 at the uh, cricket club, which was happy days, which is very, very good. So, yeah, you can get a pint for two pounds 80. Beautiful. So, yeah, it was super Saturday in my uh, in my eyes. But I did drive back through London, through Chelsea and saw an absolute like it, it almost looked like a mini Notting Hill carnival um, <laughs> through like Kings Road and Battersea and. It was just so many people. I was just like, oh, this is ridiculous. It Stupid. Was, uh... the, the, the level of confusion and mixed messaging. The other thing that I think is hilarious, of course, is that for those of us of a certain age, and I would group you in this category with me, hmm. Super Saturday will always mean the 2012 Lond London yeah, Olympics. London 2012, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that amazing night uh, yeah, at 2012. Yeah. Anyone, yeah. anyone who I think is kind of probably early 20s up and mm. you know yeah. a, an adult really kind of super saturday will always be that to the vast majority of the population yeah. and kind of hijacking it for we can all have a drink down spoons again just doesn't <laughs> feel very fitting yeah no exactly or or yes yeah, spoons i've never seen a weather spoons <laughs> that like in demand it was ridiculous but well, um, apart from a university town on a tuesday night when it's yeah like, real well, steak night well then yeah you know that's that's a different story. That's that's because you're on a university budget, but I'm talking about central London, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've never seen people so desperate to go into a spoons, which is, um, which is great. But also I read something this morning, which said all of the restaurants, which are like your Instagram restaurants. So, um, Instagram we were, restaurants. well, yeah. So, you know, the ones with like really good views and, you know, fancy like cocktails and desserts that like melt on themselves and all that sort of stuff. Apparently, all these like high-end restaurants and you know chains of, of kind of bars and stuff they um, they were all like under capacity, so they could actually have a lot more people, but people just chose not to go there. Which they were basically saying is you know shows people lively, people's livelihoods and what the pandemic may or may not have um, you know kind of affected people's kind of incomes and stuff. It's scary. It's true though, isn't it? Like. People, people's household incomes probably have been hit massively, um, massively, and people will begin to question, I suppose, a little bit more. And mm. you know, I went around friends on Saturday night, and that was great. Mm. 
Mm, exactly. And also, I think people are so used to now just getting a few tins from Tesco's and going into a park where they're thinking, oh, what's the point of queuing up for, uh, you know, 15, 20 minutes behind a bar just to get a pint poured out? But let's see what happens. But yeah, it's a new I, world, mate. It's a new world. It is a new world. And Super Saturday will always be 2012 in Stratford and not uh, not at your local pub or your high street. <laughs> thinking, thinking of a new world. Uh, let's get into today's interview because it's kind of related in, in that regard because we spoke to Bonnie Lister Parson from uh, Scene on Screen, School of SOS, to ask how she is adapting uh, studio dance lessons and online dance lessons to the new world which we're all living in and, and how their business has coped. That's today's interview. So we'll jump into that and then myself and Akish will come back with some commentary afterwards. So joining me on the show today uh, is Bonnie Lister-Parsons, who's been on the show before, probably about six months ago. So it's lovely to welcome you back. Thanks for giving up some time. Oh, thank How you, are you this for morning? having me. I am very good. Thank you. All the better for having a catch up with you. Enjoying the warm weather? Loving the warm weather. I don't want it to go anywhere. <laughs> so overdue it. it kind of felt like summer summer forgot it was going on it's oh yeah hang on a minute no it's supposed to be warm isn't it well especially because we're um, on holiday i think everyone's like thank you england those reports where we're always kind of like all right yeah whatever we're hotter than barcelona it's like right now yeah perfect because because i really need that yeah um <laughs> so look your businesses um school of sos seen on screen yeah um dance schools dance classes that people can access online they've been able to access them for online for some time yeah. not just during lockdown do you just want to um i suppose reacquaint us with what your businesses are in case yeah. anyone hasn't heard that initial episode yeah so school of sos and um seen on screen i'll explain the differences between them but in effect the shortest way of describing it is we teach people how to dance like beyonce so picture a beyonce performance on tour um, and we actually partner up with the dancers that work with Beyonce. Um, and we teach people how to dance like the queen. So, and not just the queen, but um, J-Lo, Rihanna, Ariana Grande. Uh, think of what's happening on TikTok right now. Like all of those, we call it commercial. Um, those kind of street dance routines. That's what we teach you how to do. Um, and then it's really cool because... We have two aspects of that, which is one, we work with the actual, I'm the kind of person where I'm like, if I can get the best, why wouldn't I? So um, we work with the dancers that, for example, we're working with JLo at the Super Bowl in February. That One of them, uh, Randall, that we partnered with was literally holding JLo at the Super Bowl. Um, Beyonce's backing dancers, these dancers that have these incredible insights of what it's like to work with the strongest women in the game and what they've learned from mm -hmm. them. Um, and then I want to democratize that learning, that skill, that talent, that mindset. Um, and then we make that available to a mass market and we train women, mostly women who love to dance in our teaching method that we've fine-tuned over like, basically 10 years of, of running scene on screen. And we teach them how to deliver our classes as a as a science and they do that all up and down the country um and they teach the routines that like Beyonce's dancers choreographed so it's it's pretty cool now I suppose the key word there is the democratizing piece yeah because you can't democratize this without if tech. it is solely studio based yeah in London 
uh, and therefore excluding 99.9% of people. Exactly. And our mission is to empower a generation of women. Um, we did an all-female funding round, which is what we talked about in our last, last episode. Mm. And that's never been empower a generation of women who can afford it. Um, we'll never be able to fulfill our mission if we don't use tech. We'll never be able to fulfill our mission if we're just kind of, you know, like the soul cycle model of running very uh, high ticket price, high experience boutique studios. Um, yeah, it is about democratizing that. The privilege I have of being a professional dancer and those uh, people being my colleagues and my friends um, and making that experience relevant to everyone. Because I, one of the things I ask, I, I have run a podcast too with the most successful and inspiring people I know should get you on it, David. We should do a swap. <laughs> and I always ask them the same thing, like, why you? Why is it of all, you know, for example, if you look at a dancer, um, Randall, who works with JLo, one of the best dancers in the world, not in America, not in the UK, in the world, biggest performance in the world. Out of the thousands of dancers that auditioned and wanted to be in that spot, why you? Um, mm. And I ask that to quite a lot of people. And, and all of the time it comes down to, this is a, a tangent, but supportive parents that see a talent in their child and rather than say, no, that's not, you should go down the route that we think is right for you. They support them in that. So, and, and the mindset that they have to be that ambitious and to go for something that big. There's an interesting point there, right? Though, because um, I'm p- picking up on that tangent. Um, there will be, kids probably isn't the right word. I mean, and it's not just restricted to young people, but there will be people from disadvantaged communities where mm-hmm. maybe their parents wouldn't know that there's the opportunity to send them to a dance school or whatever else mm-hmm. who all of a sudden can access this through social. And I know we talk about the negative aspects of social a lot and, and rightly there are, there are a bucket load of negative stuff that comes with it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if you can create a community where it does empower someone and they have access to something that they normally would be excluded from, right. then I suppose in the in place of parents who who can provide those opportunities, then that community and that support through things like TikTok and Instagram becomes hugely important. It, it does. And I was, again, one of the interviews I did, she's a really, really big fitness influencer. She's just uh, launched a massive book. And I said, you know, how did you get into it? So you have, you know, you've just started your Instagram account. You have zero followers. And now you have hundreds of thousands. How did you get started? And she had a very personal journey with fitness, but she didn't have anyone in person in her life that she could relate to. So she found her network completely online um, because that's what she was looking for. So, yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, if you're brought up into whatever environment you're in but then there's this incredible like wonder world of your tribe online and you can have access to that that's so exciting i suppose it's the success of something like strava for the running and cycling community um there is that community aspect and kind of you want to encourage each other and so on and and i've seen an explosion of of that during lockdown look there has been an explosion during lockdown of people pushing towards online platforms uh it just so happens that because of the mission that you were on you were already there yes we were yeah so what what have people been asking you in terms of how you did that because there's there's a lot of people that are trying now to mimic and and to ape what you're doing and to grow a community and maybe there's a, there's an interesting piece around are they growing a community or are they just simply looking for customers to survive well yeah i think that that's such an important and interesting 
thought, but um, in terms of what the difference between a customer and a community member is, they're two very different things. If you take it down to the most basic business chat, it's what's your lifetime value versus a customer and community member, um, which I think is a very important thing for any marketer to think about. But in terms of being mission focused and taking the business online, we already knew that we were going to do this. And I'd been trying to raise money to do this since 2015, which was part of the journey. Um, and it's so ironic now when you think back to it, but investors, when I was raising, raising money 2015, 2016, 2017, and I was getting told we were too early, we were too this, too that, a lot of them said, do you really think people are going to work out online? Like they saw it as such a niche thing. They just didn't think people would make that transition or if they did, they'd just use YouTube or do something for free. Um, whereas now, obviously, we're in such a different landscape. But we'd always known, uh, we eventually finally raised money in um, 2018 through an all-female round, but we had the business model in place. We had the business plan in place. So when COVID hit and lockdown hit, it wasn't so much. It was There was definitely some thinking around what do we do right now and now the goal is to uh, make that work for the long term. Um, but it was definitely a case of bring it forward by six months rather than completely pivot and change the business model, which definitely worked in our favor. But again, going back to that point, do you think the reason that you were successful, you were being asked, will people work out online, mm. I suppose, is a question that is driven by concern for the bottom line. Mm -hmm. Will we get return on investment? Will people do this? Yeah. Versus you saying, no, this, this is about values. This is about mission. This is about people supporting each other. And because you looked at it through a slightly different prism, you kind of got why people would do this. Um, I think so. I think also being the fact that I am my customer, which really helps me out because I can, it's very easy for me to put my mind, you know, be in the mindset of my customer. But also, yeah, I do very much see the company through a values lens, which again helps. And I, I think the business community, or at least investors, I wonder how much they think about this because uh, millennials as a generation and Gen Z as well, if you want to, again, if you want to get down to the nitty gritty of marketing and you want to market to them, they will. Um, statistically proven that uh, millennials will research brands before spending with them more so than other generations. They will spend their money with a brand that aligns with their values over a brand that doesn't. It makes you relevant to your customer, which in turn adds to your bottom line because they'll invest their money into you. And I think millennials do mm -hmm. see it when they part with their money, even though they're not getting shares in return, they see it as an investment in themselves. And the brands that they spend with is a direct reflection of who they are as people. So I think any investor that kind of sees that as just some marketing fluff uh, is missing a trick personally. Yeah, no, and I, I can appreciate that. Yeah. I, I think about the stuff that I buy with regards to my own running enthusiasm. It's, it is brands that I kind of go, yeah, I, I kind of like them yeah. so i buy sunglasses from a from a particular brand that their whole kind of mission is that if you're out running it should look like it's fun and you know it why why would you pay 200 pounds on a pair of running sunglasses you know you're not an olympian go buy something that kind of reflects your attitude towards exercise and running rather than anything else yeah, uh, yeah and, they're and they're 25 quid <laughs> and then which is great but, which is kind yeah, of, yeah. it's similar to what we're doing which is 
like, for example, I, I invest a lot of time into thinking if you're wearing our logo, if you're going to buy our T-shirt that has your logo on it, what does that say about you as a person? Um, yeah. So we have that really strong brand value. But then we're because of tech, we're able to provide a service, which is the best service I could possibly, possibly ever give someone for $9.99 a month. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah. it's similar. You have this super high value, super affordable, super scalable. Yeah. Look, we are now getting towards the end of lockdown. Lockdown measures are easy. Yeah. And everyone's getting lockdown um, anxiety. Oh my God, I've got to go out into the real world. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, I mean, this is an interesting point, right? You've gone through lockdown. It's been very successful. Uh, you've been able to deliver your classes uh, like you you have wanted to. Um, there will be some people, and there are a lot of people who, from an exercise point of view, want to get back in gyms. Yeah. Um there will be, I imagine, a lot of people who would love to get back in a dance studio. Mm-hmm. How do you balance um, that particular customer desire versus lots of other people who who will be concerned about that and maybe won't won't want to go back into the physical world? And maybe some maybe some of the the teachers and mm. and yourself, you might not be necessarily that keen to run them. Um, I think the teachers we're always keen to run them because we love them. Um, yeah. But I really think it's dependent. I think as a brand, we have to offer both. Which a lot of everything that's happened with lockdown has been so out of our control. We've had to purely focus on what we can control. And when we can go back into studios isn't one of those things that we can control. And then also, especially in my industry, there's a lot of talk about, yes, uh, Boris Johnson could say gyms can open, but then it's not viable for the gym to open when you have to do it socially distanced and you can only get so much foot through fall through the door. Um, for us, person with uh, School of SOS, we've always intended for it to be online and in person. So for us, it's just about slowly building up the model that we already had planned for because uh, it was always intended to be like this. But um I think it's our, our, we call them bosses, our instructors are bosses. And we mean that because they're the boss of their life. They're the boss of their SOS empires in whichever town, city they're in. So once we get the go ahead from the government, we'll be doing surveys with our, uh, with our queens, our students, um, asking them if they want to come. And then it's down to the boss's uh, P&L, whether they think it's viable for them. And it's the same with me um, and with SOS. So it's, I think it's about just taking our time, not putting the pressure on ourselves and our focus will be predominantly online, certainly for the foreseeable kind of months ahead. Do you think that you will see um, a shift from those that would have come to physical classes previously now going, Mm. I'm not scared to go back to the studio. I don't, I don't worry about getting this disease. I'm taking precautions elsewhere, but I don't actually feel the need to come back to the studio they still want to engage with with school of sos online yeah but maybe their attitudes towards what they need or how they exercise are shifted during this three to four month period yeah i think so very much so um again everyone will will feel different but uh yes i think that people have thought differently about what we were saying earlier their health in general what do i need what do i want to take into my new life what do i want to leave behind Um, I think it's somewhat different with SOS because it's not just about the motivation of getting to a studio and having an instructor there. There, Again, it comes down to the community and it comes down to performance as well. It's a very different, when you're dancing, 
especially when you've been to a few classes and you've got into the the swing of it, actually having people to dance to affects how you dance. So having a performance and Mm. having people cheering you on does bring a different aspect to it. But one of the really exciting things about lockdown for us and then moving into studios is that we've been able to expand our reach globally. So we've always been saying behind the scenes, like, yes, SOS Global, um, living in the future. And now we can actually say it. So we've got regulars in Colombia, Miami, Texas, the Netherlands, Australia, um, and they're wanting to do instructor training courses. So for us, it's been a massive catalyst for international expansion into new countries as and when we can... just just very yeah no go on very quickly then does that does that um alter the the content of the classes that you're delivering because i'd imagine that whilst whilst there are global superstars you were talking about beyonce for example at the beginning yeah. and 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 jlo who are known the world over but if you've got someone joining from colombia they they i suppose might educate you around yeah some uh performers from those areas that you aren't necessarily familiar with and might start to influence the Mm -hmm. type of of, of classes that you're delivering yeah well that's what I think is so exciting about it and when I say I want to empower a generation like I really mean it and I I won't understand every corner of society I'm not going to understand every country I'm not going to understand um every race every sexuality as much as I understand myself so uh, I actually get very excited about the collaboration of that and going into, like, for example, if we did launch in Colombia, learning about that new market, learning about that generation, learning about how we can empower them, the goal is that maybe the female president of one of those countries will start coming to our, or the future female female president will start coming to our classes and we'll give her the confidence to get into politics. That's the goal. But how we actually do it, you know, what songs we teach to are nuanced and I'm excited to learn more about those areas so we can achieve that so if we think about female world leaders uh, at the moment you you basically need to get jacinda arden on the on the platform that's yeah, what you're saying that's there, exactly right? i think i'm gonna <laughs> i'll get in touch with her and ask her to be a brand ambassador <laughs> yeah i mean exactly well look um it's been a pleasure to speak to you. It's always fun to catch yeah. up. It's it's good to hear that the the lockdown has been a positive and um, educational period, and as much as right. the, the classes that you can offer and the way that the the, the the platform is able to reach new people, that's really encouraging. Yeah. Um, and fingers crossed, uh, you do get back into the studio offering physical classes that people can enjoy soon too. Sooner or later, I'll let you know when that is. I I don't know about you. But I found this idea that millennials, and obviously it's backed up by science. So I started, I did have a proper think about it, but millennials and Gen Z really do think about who they shop with mm. more than perhaps previous generations. And it's less a case of going to get something and it's far more about an item making a statement about yourself. And even if you're not investing in shares, yeah. you are investing in a company that you want <laughs> to support. And then I thought about people that we work with and that, that tallies actually mm, it does massively and I, I think um even, even little things like uh if you if you go into our kind of commute from work or whatever um and I, I do this personally I if you just look at a small thing like coffee um a lot of people will go to like your you know kind of small independent you know kind of coffee shops in London even in, in kind of central London and where we work um a because you know you're actually supporting uh your your a, a small kind of independent but b 
the level of service, you know, the, the kind of client care that you get as compared to, yeah, what's your name? I'll write it in the back of a cup and, you know, you're just getting like the uniform type things. Um, mm. you, you actually prefer that a lot more. There's a lot more interaction. There's a lot more kind of, I don't know, you know, feeling that goes into it. And then in the same time, or at the same time even, um, look at things like clothing. I mean, you've got all these massive organisations that have been, you know, accused of not paying staff properly, of, you know, child labour in places like Bangladesh and, you know, in their factories and stuff like that. Mm. A lot of people will refuse to buy clothes from there because, you know, of, of what they do um, and, and, and you know, what they're promoting. Um, well, if the news is, is to be believed today, you don't have to go as far as Bangladesh, mate. It's, it's well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly. Um, and then now in more recent times with things like the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, kind of people's uh, organisations kind of stances, you you know, a few weeks ago, you had a massive surge of people actually being, you know, kind of um, given uh, names and, and of businesses and retailers that were owned by or, or started by, you know, kind of black people to support that community to support that kind of, you know, movement. Um, and I think it's massive. I do it personally. Um, you know, if, if, if I know of a brand that has or has come into light of being quite unethical or, or the way that they're not, you know, kind of doing things, I'll refuse to kind of go and shop from there or I refuse to, to go in there or use their products. And, you know, I, th- I think a lot of more people do do that. And it's just awareness. Um, and social media gives us that. The internet gives us that. Um, yeah, that yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and I think it ties into this idea as well that I am my customer. If you're an entrepreneur, if that's the way that you view the world and that's the way that your your shopping habits and spending habits are dictated, Mm. then it stands to reason that the business that you run has a similar ethos Mm. and is values driven. Mm. Um, And I, I liked how Bonnie described the slight potential disconnect at the minute between the investment community and everybody else and Ooh. it was in the previous podcast 60 odd episodes ago where she she goes into more detail about this but it's kind of reinforced by what she's saying here that, you know she struggled to raise money from the traditional investment community and did a solely female focused uh or female powered funding raise um funding round rather through social through Ooh. people that supported what she was doing Ooh. and and understood her passion and i think that's Ooh. It's an interesting, uh, you know, you talk about people really kind of harnessing community power to to, to create change and to create the, the products and services that they'd like to see. And, and this is a great example of it. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think fair enough to her because th- there are those angel investors or there are those, you know, kind of investors that will only look at a number in ROI, right? That That's, that's the only thing that's important to them. Um and yeah, people like that may not find, you know, her business or her venture the most appealing. You know, they they would rather try chasing that technology unicorn that we've spoken about as well, um, you know, in, in various podcasts. And they might try investing their money into businesses like that, where not only do they get the return on investment, but they also get the absolute, you know, kind of news articles press like their doors you know this guy has funded x and he's an absolute god um but i think with the way that she's done it and and it all goes back to that saying that we hear in sales all the time which is people buy from people right or people will invest in people um 
uh, I think things like this is is more so evident than ever that if you have a similar kind of thought process, if you have a similar kind of ideology or, or you know, similar kind of way of thinking, then you are more than likely to attract the right people that will help not only your business, but your own personal brand um, as well, uh, like they've done with um, with, with Bonnie um, and, and, and the kind of dance school and, and that sort of stuff, So, which is great, to be fair. Um, yeah. And fair enough, fair enough. Keep going, I think, because that's that will definitely – a that will get some good kind of business diversity going from a kind of you know a, a product and services perspective and b it will just help the economy boost up again and now more so than ever whether you run an online kind of dance school or whether you run an online bloody knitting school um you know we need every little bit right to help the economy get back to what it was a year or so ago um at least. And we're going to need we're going to need Bonnie's online classes to go from strength to strength and people to buy into that, right? So exactly, and uh, yeah. and and fix your dance moves at the same time. Be the next I, that, that could do with some. <laughs> I could do with some work on that, mate. <laughs> I've seen you at the Christmas party, Dave. You uh, you're not shy to throw your hips around, mate. <laughs> uh, well, I'm I'm quite glad that actually that you know <laughs> I I won't have an audience to perform to anytime soon. To Bonnie's point about dance needing a, a, an audience to 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 perform for, so that's it's probably a good thing for that potential audience. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway look we're going to take a break bonnie thank you for being our guest uh and when we come back after this short uh short pause we're going to have a, a recording from the we are the city conference held just two weeks ago i moderated a panel uh of senior leaders talking about tech and what is next post covid so we're going to just play a short uh piece from that but akish thanks for joining me for today's show and uh yeah do enjoy this this short clip from that conference that's coming up uh after this pause Welcome back to Tech Talks. As mentioned, we are bringing you a clip now from the We Are Tech Women virtual conference that was hosted on the 26th of June. And I had the pleasure of being the moderator for the senior leaders panel asking what was going to come next for tech post-pandemic. On that panel, we had Julian David, Dane Turbot, Nadine Thompson, Paul O'Sullivan and Antoinette O'Neill. And this is a, a, a series of clips from that panel. You can watch the whole panel um, online. All of the content from the conference, which is across four stages and had over 50 keynote speakers, is available to watch. So if you have a look um, in the show notes, you can find a link to access that content there. It is well worth doing. Uh, but yeah, like I said, we just wanted to play this clip from the uh, panel, from the senior leaders panel. I think there's some really interesting insight hope you enjoy it and thanks for tuning in today we've seen potentially years worth of change happen in the last 10 weeks but issues around identity and security remain i mean they've certainly been all over the press in the last couple of weeks with regards to tech so how can the sector help build trust over the next 12 and 18 months to make sure that i suppose consumers and clients buy into what the industry can offer David, it's a really uh, you know, interesting point in time. Uh, this has been an issue we've been looking at, members have been looking at for some considerable time. We, you know, we're alive to the fact that our technology or members' technology does great things, but it also presents challenges. Challenges 
in uh, use of people's data, challenges in security, uh, challenges in behavior online, challenges to people's living and livelihoods, types of jobs they do, uh, challenges of inclusion and exclusion. You know, there are, there are a lot of issues uh, that uh, come along with all the benefits from tech. And so we've been looking at that for some time. We've, we're very much pursuing the, the point that says there needs to be legislation, there needs to be a bedrock of things. So in data, for example, we welcome GDPR. We think that's a good uh, international base for people to build on and establish trust. But we need more than that. So we started some time ago looking at ethics as the basis of this. So saying to companies, saying to practitioners in our industry, what is the ethical point? What, what, you know, what are you doing with this? So, for example, if you look at something like data, uh, gathering data, then you know, ask yourself uh, three questions every company that's doing this. So, first of all, what have you got? Because often, and this is only going to increase in, in the automated, intelligent, everything on world, people are going to gather data almost incidentally. Uh, and people are going to leave data trails almost incidentally. So make sure you know what you've actually got. Secondly, make sure you know why you've got it. What are you doing with it? You know, and I mean that in both senses of the word. And then lastly, for whose benefit do you have it? And, and, you know, and if you don't have stakeholder, customer, citizen in that answer, along with shareholder and, and, and others, then you know, you're getting the wrong answer back. So, so those are the sort of core building blocks. What is very interesting, and picking up on, on, on the time of your question, is I actually think we're in a good place because what has happened is that we've demonstrated that our technology can be We've demonstrated that this is how you can carry on in the face of a really massive crisis, which has affected every part of society, every part of the community, and the ability to keep things going, to allow communities to connect, to find new solutions, to actually explore really fast uh, application of, of services. I mean, we did a, a, a president interview with Tony Blair recently, and he was sort of saying, you know, in the last 10 weeks, we've seen more innovation in health service delivery and provision than he managed in 10 years uh, of, of really trying. So, and the public has recognized the importance of digital and the importance of skills and the importance of these technologies. So, you know, I, I actually think the moment is there and we can build on this, but no missteps. You know, don't make shortcuts. Just out of interest to, to pick on one point there and just, just ask it in a little bit more detail. Um, the, the importance is not lost on the public. I, I think they do understand how transformative these technologies can be, but how important is it also that the that the, the sector tries to educate users? Because there's definitely a, a sense that people have to sign away their data and they don't really have much control. They have to ex sign up to things and they don't really understand, therefore, what, what the relationship is between consumer and business, right? Yeah, it, look, I mean, it still starts with your principles. You as a company, you know, uh, legalese and all the rest is very complicated stuff. One of the reasons so many of these agreements are so long is because they have to accommodate so many um, regulatory environments. An international offering has to conform to so many different places. Um, but the point is, if you start with good principles, that's the stuff. The second thing is transparency. Be open. Be clear about what you're doing. And then the third thing is be responsible. You know, understand what impact you're having. And make sure it's good. So, for example, one of the great things that's come to the fore is this idea that you don't have to move to a particular place to work in a particular 
company or, or location. This is this is great news for for doing parts of the UK where previously they had to get on a train or move to London or move to Manchester or whatever. You don't have to now. There are a lot of jobs are being advertised with no location. But I say to all our members, if you're doing that only to find the lowest wage rate, then you've got this wrong. What you should be doing that for is to find the best skills, but you should still invest. You know, it's just you're a broader community. You still should invest in it. You still should provide education. You still should provide benefits to the stakeholders as well as to, to the shareholders. Our children are going to grow up in a very different world, uh, and digital skills are going to be crucial. We're talking about um, regional skills um, and or parts of the country opening up. But I, I, in preparation for this panel, um, I was talking to Rob McCargo, who's one of the other speakers at this conference uh, at PwC. And he was talking about the fact that in Finland, uh, there are schemes where they're going into prisons and making sure that prisoners come out of, of, of their uh, sentences with digital uh, skills and skills that suit them for an economy that's heavily automated. I'm not sure whether we're doing necessarily the same here. Correct me if I'm wrong. But how can the industry help tackle that potential growing divide that could leave disadvantaged communities behind? It's a big question, isn't it? <laughs> I think I think it is. I mean, I'm involved with a local charity, Lambeth Tech Aid, and we uh, formed purely because we could see that um, there were a number of uh, lower income families in the area who just don't have access to a laptop or even a smartphone to be able to stay connected and do online education. Um, only 47% of low-income households, so it's households earning under 16K a year, have broadband. So that would mean that there's a lot of lower-income families who don't have access to the internet during this period, which I think right now it's really essential, just under perhaps food and shelter. Um, I would pop broadband, um, broadband and then technology devices just under there. And another interesting stat, just to kind of think about this digital divide, is that sort of more well-off families are three times more likely to have a private tutor during the school shutdown than perhaps other families. And so I think we had a digital divide within um, the UK already where um, lower socioeconomic groups don't have as much access to education or technology. And I think this is really exacerbating um, or causing that to be um, really um, increased um, and not only just families but I think uh, refugees or people fleeing domestic violence or prisons or underfunded schools I think there's a lot of sort of a growing digital divide here there's a number of organizations um, that are set up throughout the UK the Social Mobility Foundation is a great organization um, and um, I've been involved in them for a few years Mediacom support them um, as one of their partners in the mobility index and they help show role models and um, connect um, a sort of uh, students in lower socioeconomic groups to mentors so that they've got role models and gotten um, access to an expanded network. And I think things like that that organisations can do along around mentoring, connecting uh, lower socioeconomic groups into the industry um, for people with disadvantaged backgrounds to give them a chance is really, really helpful. Um, I think a practical thing we can do in the industry is removing university degrees from job descriptions. Drives me out when I see that. I don't think there's very few technology roles. I think that you necessarily have to have a university degree for, and I think that really does um, create. It's, it's great if you have one, but it really creates a um, disadvantage for many uh, many people that perhaps come from a different background 
and you're going to lack your diversity in your team because you were only looking for one type of person. Um, Inter- yeah, sorry, just to jump in whilst, and I'll, yep. I'll, I'll come straight back to you. It's interesting in the, in the comments, Georgina Jones has said about mm-hmm. it would be interesting to hear the panellists' views on the standard of education currently being offered in schools and, and workplaces yeah. other than tech-focused degrees. So I suppose to your point that you're making there. So I think that is a really good question. Um, I do some speaking in schools and also mentoring of school students. So I, I, I sort of see the education system through that experience. And I think it's tough. I mean, there's teachers in the education system who haven't the aren't in the industry and so don't know of the, I mean, the industry changes so quickly. It's hard for me to keep up when I'm in it every single day. But it's really tough for teachers who don't have that connection in constantly into the industry. And the, the I mean, the curriculum changes so, I think, so slowly that, I mean, often they're teaching things which, you know, by the time you come out of school, it's two years out of date. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it needs to be more practical focus, more tangibly focused um, and more connection to industry, um, I think, is incredibly important. Paul, in preparation for this for this panel, you said that we appear to have crushed working from home. But what we do have here is we have five people on a call who I imagine uh, if, if you don't mind me making the assumption that you're all quite good communicators and, and, and don't mind putting your, your opinions forward in these particular forums. That's not necessarily the case for everybody. So how do we remain diverse and inclusive and make sure that there are channels open for everyone to make sure that we get a broader voice of opinion in, in organisations? Yeah, and I, I think you're, you're, you're right, David, because if, if, we, if we look at this event um, in its own right, this shows what we can do and how technology enables us and, and we stay connected. But there is still an element towards this around that diversity and, and kind of inclusiveness of all of our people. Um, and I think Antoinette kind of touched on all of the points um, around how do we be a bit more human centric? How do we be a bit, a bit more balanced to work towards work-life balance? Um, what does it mean for me as an individual, two kids running around, one kind of gate crashes, lots of noise in the background and all different things. And I think there's there's kind of, for me anyway, there's two ways of kind of looking at this. One is, I think, as we all face the same struggles, we all become a little bit more open to showing our vulnerabilities. Um, and that creates a very different relationship. If I think of some of the relationships I've now got with my colleagues, um, I would never have imagined um, six months, 12 months ago, I would have had the types of relationships I've got now. We're far closer as a community, as a set of people, and actually going all the way back to the start of this conversation, that's enabled us to do things that we would never have imagined we would have done before. You know, the things we've achieved in, in such short periods of time to enabling people to work from home, rolling out Microsoft Teams to millions of people, um, enabling contact centers and, and people, you know, with huge contact centers to work remotely. But actually that diversity and inclusiveness is still kind of there. And it is a bit more of how do we encourage everybody to make sure that, you know, we remind them they've got a voice and we're here to listen. So giving people the opportunity to go round a call and bring everybody into play and make sure that people have got the opportunity to speak up if they think there's something that's not quite right. Um, and I think there's there's the well-being piece, but I actually think there's huge opportunity from all of this as well, which is if we're all being very honest and open, um, there has always been a conscious biasm. Um, and I, I used to hear the terminology people by people. And, and what that meant to me was 
we always reflect and we want to work with the people that reflect who we are and our own personality and our own values. But then we lose huge opportunity for that diverse, different way of thinking and new creative approach. And I think when we look back at, uh, you know, through the pandemic and, and more importantly, as our values shift, actually, what we're now valuing is we're valuing the person and we're valuing the skills and the talent they bring far more greater then we are valuing that concept of, you know, this is somebody I like and I, I, I can go down the pub and have a drink with. Um, so I think, you know, long may that continue. I don't think we've fully cracked the nut yet because I think while technology has enabled us to all stay productive and work from home, what we still need to work on is how do we actually establish a true relationship with somebody completely new in a virtual environment? And I don't think we've got that yet, but I think actually as our, as we progress as individuals, we'll become a lot more open over time with new people that we meet. And actually that will, that will drop a lot more barriers.